when Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you are the salt of the earth, he means that they, first of all, they are highly valued. Like salt was valued during their days, so were they highly valued and regarded in the kingdom of God. I greet you all in the name of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and do trust that uh, you are well and you're continuing to be blessed by his word and by his presence in your life. The question we've been tackling is the question of um, the character of a Christian and how a Christian ought to behave, how he ought to live in the world. And so today we are going to be looking uh, in another part of the Someone on the Mount. We're going to be reading from the book of Matthew, once again, chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. So let us pray. Our dear loving Father, we stand before your holy presence. We come with thanksgiving. We come with repentance. And we pray, O Lord God Almighty, that you may forgive us and cleanse us from every unrighteousness. You have called us out of the world to be your very own. And you have sent us back into the world to be be ministers to the world. The Lord, teach us how we go about living in this world and ministering as you have commanded us to do. We pray in the wonderful name of Christ Jesus, our loving Savior. Amen. So our reading is Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16. You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone. Um, it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Amen. That is the word of the Lord. I have titled our discussion this morning, Christian Influence in the World. Christ says, you are the salt of the earth. Now, at this particular point, 
we are entering into the arena of practical application of the Beatitudes which we have been studying the last uh, so many weeks. My dear friends, this is where, as they say, the rubber hits the road. It's where theory turns into reality. It's where the wheat is separated from the weeds. And this is where true disciples stand up to be counted. Having described what a Christian is meant to be, Jesus now proceeds to describe how a Christian is meant to live in the world. By way of reminder, a Christian is one who is who, who, whose sins have been forgiven. He's a sinner whose sins have been forgiven. One who is born again and possesses the qualities, all the qualities described in the Beatitudes. A Christian, furthermore, is a child of God, a citizen of heaven, and an, an ambassador of the kingdom of God in the world. In that position, a Christian is to be salt and light in the world. Although a Christian's citizenship is in heaven, as the Bible teaches, his residence for the time being is right here on earth. His business is to showcase the qualities and the values of the kingdom of heaven. His unique character is to be distinct and easily distinguishable from that of the world. Apostle Peter says concerning this, this distinctiveness, Peter says, Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against you. Live such good lives among the pagans that, though they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. So then, uh, basically, the, our purpose here as Christians is to live in such a manner that our actions, our lives, our deeds glorify God. That is why we are here in the world to glorify God by the way we live. And this is to be our theme as we go on in our study of the Sermon on the Mount. Now, Jesus was addressing these words to a bunch of, you know, very few disciples. And he's telling them, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light of the world. I'm sure there were more worthy people according to the thinking of, of, of the world at that time, even now today. There could have been more better people to be salt and to be light. But no, it is to these ex-fishermen 
I mean, uh, tax collectors. Another common people that Jesus was addressing himself within the hearing of the bigger crowd that had also come to hear him speak. So what does this mean to us today? What does it mean to be salt of the earth and light of the world? What does it mean for us today? We will begin with salt today and then save light for, the, for next Sunday, God willing. So what does Jesus mean? You are the salt of the world, of the earth. Well, in the ancient world, salt was a very rare and a highly valuable commodity. So valuable indeed salt was salt that uh, Roman soldiers were sometimes paid their salaries with salt, not with money. Indeed, the word salary is derived from the word salt. So when you get your salary at the end of the month, my dear friends, you are getting salt. And for that reason, a soldier who failed in his duties was said to be not worth his salt. We still use that um, in, in, in sometimes in our conversations. One who is not worth his salt is one who has failed to perform his duties as expected. But salt was also used for a number of, I mean, so many other purposes, really, even in the Old Testament. For instance, salt was used during sacrifice, some of the sacrifices. Uh, in Leviticus 2.13, for instance, we are told, uh, you know, the Israelites were told, were instructed to season every grain offering with salt. And uh, in the book of 2 Kings chapter 2, uh, verse 20 onward, uh, we, we, we have um, Apostle Elisha uh, taking some salt and throwing it in a well, and, it, and it, the salt is said to have purified the poisonous water in the well, which has caused illness and death, and also which had made the surrounding land unproductive. So salt does have a certain curative properties as well. Today, salt is so common and it is so cheap, so easily available, that we just tend to take it for granted. We tend to forget just how useful and how indispensable salt is. But salt has several other qualities and uses as well. Salt purifies. Salt preserves and it prevents decay. I believe this is the sense in which Jesus was using this word, you are the salt of the earth. So, when, uh, for instance, meat is treated with salt, it can be kept for a good number of days, even months, I hear, without refrigeration and without getting spoiled. But salt has yet another quality. And it is the obvious one. Salt is very salty. Just a pinch of salt is enough to improve the flavor of food. And that's, why, that's how we use salt uh, mostly in, in our houses. 
That is the use we have for salt uh, usually in our houses. So, um, Christians, says Jesus, are to be like salt in the world. When Jesus turns to his disciples and says, you are the salt of the earth, he means that they, first of all, they are highly valued. Like salt was valued during their days, so were they highly valued and regarded in the kingdom of God. But they are also valued, valuable to the earth, to the world, even though the world may not recognize them. They may not uh, acknowledge their worth and their value until they have come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So they are highly valued. And secondly, they are to be in the world like salt is to food. That means they are to play an important role in society. And they individually and collectively are to act as preservative of God's moral law and so prevent moral decay in the society in which they live. True believers are to use their kingdom qualities, the ones we saw in the Beatitudes, to maintain freshness and flavor to life here on earth. So my dear friends, when Jesus tells his disciples, you are the salt of the earth, he means that they are highly valued. Even as salt was valued at the time Jesus was speaking 2,000 years ago, so were the disciples valued and highly regarded in heaven and here on earth. Secondly, Christian disciples are to be in the world as salt is when it comes into contact with food. That means they are to play an important role in society and they, in, they individually and collectively are to act as preservative of God's moral law and prevent moral decay in society. True believers are to use their kingdom qualities as described in the Beatitudes to maintain fleshiness and flavor to life here on earth. They are to be meek. They are to be merciful. They are to be righteous and just, pure, pure in heart, peacemakers. Christians are to be of positive influence in the world and be willing to suffer for doing these good things. A lesson we can learn from salt is that salt has to be in contact with the food in order to have any effect on it. In the same manner, Christians will not influence their society or the world unless they maintain contact with the society around them. Therefore, I personally consider this matter of, of Christian, Christians in the world to be one of the most important and the most urgent matters confronting the Church of Jesus Christ currently. The world 
we have observed in previous studies, is characterized by wickedness, immoral and selfish lifestyles, greed, violence and crime, and a spirit of rebellion against God. This has been the case. This has been the state of affairs since Adam and Eve sinned against God and were therefore separated from God. The troubles, the sorrows, the griefs, the calamities we continue to suffer in the world, the rottenness, the decay in the world, therefore traces its origins to the original sin and our own sins as we live in the world today. The situation was no better when Jesus was speaking and preaching the Sermon on the Mount, which I believe is the reason why he preached that Sermon in the first place. And therefore, the world needed solution. People were looking for answers. The Greek philosophers had failed to solve the problem. The Romans had failed to sort out the problems. And now Jesus was turning to his few disciples and telling them, you are the salt of the earth. Since salt functions as a preservative from decay, it therefore means that Jesus was confirming that the world of his day was in a state of decay and that the only persons who could make a difference were his disciples. Today, my dear friends, Jesus has his face turned towards you and I. You are the salt of the earth. Is still his message to all individual Christians and to the church as a whole. So my dear brother, my dear sister, are you sought? Are you sought in the society you live in? Does your life make a difference where you live or where you work? Do your words and your actions reflect the values of the kingdom of God? What about your lifestyle, my dear friends? What about the choices that you make? For instance, in the area of entertainment and leisure, what about your ethical standards. You know, friends, there was a time when Christians kept away from things like alcohol and wild living. Christians lived humble lives. They were never showy. They were meek. They were humble. They were honest. They were kind. They were hospitable. Christians were pioneers in education including education for girls. They were pioneers in doing honest business and other progressive developments that we take for granted today. Christians lived respectable lives and they were res res respected and trusted. They were the obvious choices for leadership roles in society. This is not the case today. What happened? Let's hear what Jesus says. Let's hear what Jesus has to say about this. And let's, let's look at once again in uh, Matthew our, our 5, our text. Chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus says, You are the sort of the earth. 
But if the salt lose its, loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. Fellow Christians, and all those who hear me, this is the warning. Jesus is warning that there is a sense in which salt can become useless. And if salt loses its saltiness, it ceases to be salt because it can never be made salty again. Therefore, what do you do with it? What do you do with salt which has lost its essential qualities of saltiness? It is good for nothing. The only thing you can do with it is throw it out to be trampled underfoot. To be trampled under, you know, uh, uh, to be trampled upon actually means to be treated with contempt. So as salt that is useless is thrown out contemptuously, so is there contempt for a Christian who has lost his essential qualities? Let us not forget, my dear friends, that the Beatitudes describe what a Christian is meant to be. Therefore, if a Christian loses the qualities described by Jesus, he will cease to be like salt. He will have lost his flavor and influence. Individual Christians and churches which lose these qualities will become lukewarm like the church of the Laodiceans. This particular church had lost its essential quality and had become proud, it had become boastful and, con and contemptible in the eyes of Jesus. And Jesus warned that he was about to spit it out of his mouth. Just as useless salt is rejected and thrown out to be trampled under people's feet, so will God eject out of his presence those Christians that have lost their kingdom qualities. The world, on the other hand, will despise them and hold them with the greatest contempt. Not even, even the world does not have any use for Christians who are worldly. So let us ask ourselves, my dear friends, do I taste like salt? Or have I lost my saltiness? Do I add flavor to my marriage, for instance? Is my marriage an example to the rest of the world? What is Christian marriage? Is it not one that is strictly guided by the word of God and by the Holy Spirit? So tell me then, where is divorce so rampant among Christians these days? Do I add flavor to my place of work? Do I add flavor in business, in my leisure, in my relationships, and all my activities and engagements? Writing to the Colossians, Apostle Paul says, Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace seasoned with salt, so that you may know 
how to answer everyone. My dear friends, even the simple graces, social graces of 20 years, 30 years back are fast disappearing. Excuse me, please, thank you. May I, you know, giving way, you know, respect, a kind word, good manners, good contact in public and in private, they have disappeared. My friends, the world is in a state of decay and continues to be so in spite of their being in this world Christians, people who call themselves Christians, numbering over two billion people. When Jesus was speaking to the disciples, they were, he had just chosen 12 initially. On the day of Pentecost, there were only 120 available. And see what the, the impact they had in the world at that time. What, is, what are these two billion Christians doing in the world? Jesus sent Christians to the world to be sought and to preserve it and to enhance also kingdom values in this world. So my dear friends, Jesus addressed various moral and ethical issues in his Sermon on the Mount, and we will come to them in due course. But I wonder, what would Jesus have said about some of the issues that are confronting, that are confronting us today as Christians, sadly, Christian opinion is so divided these days that you cannot tell where the majority stand. Yet, when all is said and done, it is not what people think or say that counts, but what the Bible says. So what does the Bible say about some of these very controversial uh, contemporary issues? What does the Bible say about divorce and remarriage? What does your Bible say about abortion? Does it have an answer? What does your Bible say about war and peace and reconciliation, for instance? What does your Bible say about surrogacy? What does your Bible say about homosexuality and lesbianism? What does your Bible say about adultery? What does your Bible say about animal cloning? What does your Bible say about polygamy, polyandry, and other issues related to that? The question is, do we know enough of the Bible to make a stand on these issues and to give an answer when people ask? Are we salty enough to influence change in others towards what is, you know, I mean, to influence others towards what is right and noble and righteous? If the Bible is clear on any of these issues, why is the opinion of the church so divided? Have we lost our certainness? If so, we have become useless then.
both to the kingdom of God and to the world. Nevertheless, nevertheless, the true and the genuine church of Jesus Christ will forever stand. It is the false and useless church that will be thrown out and trampled by men. As for you and I, if we are faithful and if we live and conduct ourselves and do deeds that are God-honoring, that glorify our God, then surely we shall inherit the earth. In the meantime, you are the salt of the earth. May God bless you. Amen. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us. I'm praying, O oh God, that indeed we shall have time to reflect on these words of yours and we shall evaluate our own lives, our lifestyles, our conduct, our deeds and our, uh, and our, and our words. Help us, Father, to be everything that you want us to be. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.